today we talk about joy. And it's a, a season of joy, and, and we're reminded that we are created for joy. And we see in all cultures a pursuit after joy, uh, but many times uh, that pursuit of joy lands on things that will never, never give back. And as I began my um, work on the sermon this week, I, I decided I just wanted to, to Google, do a little Google search. You just never know what you're going to find. Um, and decided to put in Christmas joy just to see what, what pops out. So um, Anthony was pointing at me. So I, I'm not shaking my head at you guys. <laughs> he was asking me if I want. Not yet. Don't go to the next slide yet. Just hold there. Hold there. Hold there. <laughs> All right. Um, so... Um, I, I, I searched Christmas joy, and uh, what came up was page after page of this Hallmark Christmas movie called Christmas Joy. Um, it was page after page. I, I know it's a shocker, right? Uh, well, if you, if you want to watch that, Rotten Tomatoes, the audience review was 50, 56%. So, you know, I don't know. You might like it. You might not. Um, at Amazon, it had five stars from four reviewers, and that was all that reviewed it. So I don't know what that says either, but um, Christmas joy. So I thought, okay, let me, let me shift this a little bit, and I decided to do joy of Christmas. Um, so joy of Christmas, and again, I got more um, Hallmarky type movies that came up for joy, joy for Christmas, but joy for Christmas only had three and a half stars on Amazon, so I don't know. But it made me realize our standard for joy is pretty low. Yeah, yeah, pretty low. Um, but even through Christmas, we think of these different things that might give us joy, and a lot of those is receiving gifts and giving gifts. But in reality, a lot of the gifts that we receive and give will end up one day in the trash, um, in a landfill. Uh, they just don't hold uh, the potential for joy that we might think they have. Uh, a lot of misplaced joys. And, uh, well, one of my joys of during the holidays is uh, a mint mocha. I love peppermint mochas, and I'm always excited when they come out. Um, and I, I, get, I like to get a, at least one large one, and with half the syrup. Oh, not that yet, not yet. Go back, Anthony. You're, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> so, uh, but I, I love them, um, except for they're stupid expensive, and they only provide like moments of, of joy. So I did decide to Google that too, joy, peppermint mocha, because I find joy in peppermint mochas. And, then, and now, now, Anthony, now you, can, now you can do it. And lo and behold, from Duncan's newsroom from last year, joy to the world, peppermint mochas return. And I just I was reminded, yes, our standard of joy is so low and so misplaced um, and shallow in a lot of ways. But we're reminded that we are created for joy. And that that joy can be found in something, someone uh, who is the source of all joy, and that's Jesus. So you can go to the, the next one there. You can leave it on that one. So as we look today, we are looking in Luke. We are going to be reading in Luke again, Luke chapter 1. We're going to look 39 through 56. And this will not be a deep dive. This will be more of an overview of these verses. So uh, it won't be a forever sermon this morning. So don't worry. But we're reminded, the context from last week, uh, Mary, she had received the news from an angel that came to her. Gabriel came and announced that she would... 
be with child and be the son of God. And remember Mary, that she is not a person of great stature or stature, but a person of poverty. Her status in the society would be that of a humble status. Um, she would have been a young girl, probably from 13 to 15, because that would have been the typical marrying age of, of young girls during that time. So she was young. Um, she was not a person of influence. And here Gabriel comes and says, you will carry the Son of God, the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah, the king that would reign in the line of David, that forever unending kingdom that he would reign over. And Mary, um, she doesn't doubt, but she does question. She's like, how will this be? How will God accomplish this? And the angel explains that God will move. It will be an act of God through the Holy Spirit that she will be with child. And um, that she would carry the Son of God who would be called holy. And then the angel says um, that her relative, Elizabeth, so a sign is given to her. Elizabeth has already had, is already with child. There's already been a miraculous conception. And Elizabeth, who is in her older um, years in life, passed the ages of being able to bear child. And Elizabeth also was barren, that she had not had any children. And the angel says that nothing is impossible with God. So we kind of walked through that last week. And Mary, she responds with humility. And she embraces the truth. And she says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And she um, believes and she submits to the Lord in this and takes on even this title of servant. This wasn't, again, a title of, of prestige to say that she was a servant. She said, I'm a servant of the Lord. So we see a humility here. And here, too, as she embraces this, it's not a, a calling that would be without trial. It may have even came to her mind that others would look at her as as one who is carrying an illegitimate child before marriage. She was betrothed, but not yet married to Joseph. And she could be then stoned by the community for this. So trial would come upon her. And she doesn't even probably know, will anyone believe? And we see with Joseph, Joseph doesn't believe till an angel appears to him in a dream. So she takes upon this, this hard task in a lot of ways. And remember, she's from Nazareth, and Nazareth was an overlooked, um, kind of nothing town that had a reputation of, oh, nothing, can, nothing good comes from Nazareth. Remember, that's how Nathaniel responded when he heard Jesus was from Nazareth. And the, Nazareth isn't mentioned in the Old Testament, any other play in the, in the Old Testament is not mentioned. Um, Josephus, first century uh, Jewish historian, doesn't mention Nazareth. But remember last week, we, we did note that... Uh, in 1960, 1962, I believe it was, that an artifact from an excavation of Caesarea came, and it says something about someone who was from Nazareth. So we know it's a real place, but just an overlooked, a nothing place. But here, the birth of the Son of God will, 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 will be in Bethlehem, but to Joseph and Mary. So we're reminded as we begin that Christmas isn't about it isn't about wealth. It isn't about presence. It isn't about throwing great parties. It isn't about looking at all the accomplishments that we've done this year and the good things that we've done and 
the things that we have uh, allowed others to see how great we are about. <laughs> it's not joy in those things. Uh, but Christmas is for, remember, we're reminded that Christmas is for the needy. Christmas is for those who need salvation. Christmas is for us. It's a joy that we find in our humiliation, uh, our neediness, and being reminded that we are rescued uh, by Jesus. And He is our joy. He is our hope. So that brings us to our passage today. As we begin in verse 39 and 40. In those days... Mary arose and went with haste into the country, into the hills, in the hill country, to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. So even in this beginning, we begin to see joy. And here in this, we see a joy shared between Elizabeth and Mary. And we're reminded that uh, we, we can together um, share in the joy of God's salvation corporately. So it begins, and, and Mary, she hears this word from Gabriel, and what does she do right away? She straight away, with haste, she goes to her relative Elizabeth. She's in a hurry. She gets up and goes. And there's no doubt, I think, that she wanted to see if the things that the angel had said. She wants to see, in fact, that Elizabeth is pregnant. I'm sure she's wanting to go and know that. And she wants to go and see and tell her story to Elizabeth, who's going to understand this story. And at this point, who knows if she's told her parents or Joseph yet? I don't know. There may have been some wonder, are they going to believe these things? But I know if I go to Elizabeth, um, I need to go and tell her. So she goes quick with haste to Elizabeth. And Mary, she goes and she enters the home of Zechariah and Elizabeth and she speaks a greeting to them. And this word greeting also can have a meaning of, of embracing. And I'm sure there was some embracing and greeting that happened in that moment. I can only imagine their hearts quickly knit together as they're both experiencing this miracle that others on the outside are probably looking at and wondering what is going on here. So they rejoice together in these miracles that they're each experiencing, even miracles that come with sorrows. J.C. Ryle, he writes this. And J.C. Ryle, again, um, if you haven't grabbed one of our Advent books that we have for you, they're in the back, and our Advent book this year is from the writings of J.C. Ryle, who was an um, a, a Anglican bishop in the 1800s. But he wrote this. He says, The words of an old divine are deep and true. And then he, he quotes this old divine, old quote. He says, Happiness communicated doubles itself. Grief grows greater by concealing, joy by expressing. So we see this joy as they express their joy together. And he says, we should always regard communion with other believers as an eminent means of grace. It is a refreshing break in our journey along the narrow way to exchange experiences with our fellow travelers. It is a near... is the nearest approach that we can make on earth to the joy of heaven. Just saying that that fellowship we have together here, Mary and Elizabeth are together. So we need fellowship with one another. We need to experience joy together. That's why one of our, our core commitments is to, to love or to connect with one another authentically, to care for one another authentically, because we want to do that. It's a means of God's grace. It's a conduit of his grace, but it's also uh, something that we need grace to do. 
right? We need grace for one another um, because we are all sinners saved by grace, walking with Jesus together. But there's joy um, when we find joy in Jesus together. And then we see continue that at verses 41 through 50 or 45. We see hope, the joy of hope, and that hope, that hope is Jesus. And we find hope and joy in Christ. Verse 41. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come near to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ear, the baby in my, in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So here in these few verses, there's a lot here. But we see great joy in the hope, the hope that is Jesus. And some other things that we see. Well, one is just John the Baptist in the womb of Elizabeth. Uh, we see even the personhood of John in these early stages before birth. We see that there's life here. And we see, too, even that of Elizabeth speaking, saying that, that, um, that Mary carries uh, the Lord and already at conception, we see the personhood even of Christ there. We see John, even in his mother's womb, already is beginning to point people to Jesus. And as we walk through the Gospel of John, we've seen that John is the forerunner of Jesus. He's not the light, but he's the one who points all to the light. And here, this begins even before he is born, as he leapt in the womb of Elizabeth. And Elizabeth, too, she's filled with the Holy Spirit. She prophesies as well and speaks of things to come. And we see this expression of joy at the arrival of Jesus already. The Savior's come, God incarnate. We see great joy as they, they are together and they rejoice together. And we see that hope, hope incarnate in Jesus and John, in his joy, John the Baptist, in his joy, we see that that continues, and we saw that in the Gospel of John that we walked through, as he has great joy at the beginning of the ministry of Jesus, if you remember. Now, the disciples of John, if you also remember that we talked about how the crowds, crowds, just hordes of people have come to John to be baptized, and then he begins to point to Jesus, and then the crowds begin to go to Jesus, and his disciples who are baptizing. And John's disciples, they're a little bit confused. They're like, they're going to the sky. And they're like, and John the Baptist is like, yes, that's what I want. And then he reminds his disciples that everything that we receive is from heaven. He's just reminding them all we have is from above. And he reminds them that he, that he is not the Messiah. I'm not the Messiah. I've been sent ahead of the Messiah. And then he reminds them, too, of the joy. And he gives that illustration of the bride and the groom. And that there's great joy when the groom comes and speaks to the bride. And he says, thy joy is complete. And he speaks of Jesus as a groom coming for his people, the bride. And John says, my joy is complete. He says, he, Jesus, must increase. I must decrease. So we see this continued joy, even of John, um, that he finds in Jesus. And John's joy in Jesus 
is that the hope has arrived on the scene in the Messiah. Hope is a person. It's Jesus. Joy is a person. Jesus. I think also of the Apostle Paul as he speaks about joy and hope in Romans 12, 12, that where he writes, be joyful in hope. Uh, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. I love that verse. We're joyful in things that we know have already begun and will be completed in Jesus, and we can find joy in that. But often we root, we root our joys in things that are just fleeting, um, that do not hold up, like, like joy to the world, mint mochas, right? Um, but we're called that to rest our joy in Jesus. Uh, he is able to give us great joy, lasting joy. He came and died and rose again, reminding us that He has risen. There's joy in Jesus. So we need to pray and ask the Lord just to help us to look to the words of Jesus, to look to Jesus again and again, and morning after morning, because the world and the flesh and Satan just battle against us to cause us or desire us or, or push us in ways that we put joy on lesser things that just never hold up. Um, so we're called to rest in Jesus and maybe this morning you come, even during this season, uh, this season may, may not be a season of joy for you, but a season of grieving or a season of sorrow or a season of looking at what was or what you desired to be. Even as followers of Christ, we can wrestle with that kind of sorrow. And we might be thinking of that today and we wonder, will that joy of Christ come near? Maybe it seems really distant today or in this season. And you sense it and you feel it. I think as we sometimes wrestle with finding our joy in Christ, we can be reminded that we're not the only ones who have wrestled. I think of the psalmist in Psalm 42 and and 43, where the psalmist says, Why so downcast, O my soul? There's an acknowledgement of of sorrow. But then he says, "Put, put your hope in God. He just speaks truth to himself. Put your hope in God. And we're reminded throughout the psalms, uh, that there are others that have gone before us. And I think of even John the Baptist, later he'll be in prison and he'll wonder, and he'll send his disciples to Jesus, are, are you the one? Uh, so there's wrestling there. And I think there's something good about um, knowing we're not alone in that. Charles Spurgeon, he has this illustration that goes something like this, where um, pretend you, you are on a, a deserted island uh, and you, you, you're shipwrecked there. And you feel like there's no one else on that island. But then one morning you get up and you see footprints in the sand. And you're like, I'm not alone. (laughs) Sometimes that's how it is with the Psalms or stories of John the Baptist in prison. And we're reminded that we're not alone. We're also reminded that we need one another. We need the help even of the Holy Spirit just to, to encourage our hearts. And we see here Elizabeth filled with the Holy Spirit. And John, uh, it speaks of in Luke Chapter 1, verse 15, that John, even in the womb, was filled with the Holy Spirit. So we see just a need for that. We need to pray, Lord, enable me, fill me, that I might know your joy and walk in your joy and your hope, even in this season. So Elizabeth, then she continues to speak truth, and she prophesies and speaks truth about Jesus and about Mary as she's filled with the Holy Spirit. She speaks about the long-awaited Messiah, the Lord that's come. And she's also aware of the faith of Mary as Mary comes in. She acknowledges her faith. 
as she's filled with the Holy Spirit. Maybe Elizabeth, she sees even the faith of Mary because Mary uh, is able to speak and greet her. And why is that unique? Well, her husband, Zechariah, when, the, when, the, when Gabriel, the angel, comes to him, he doubted, and what happens? Well, he can't speak anymore. He, he's mute until the birth of John the Baptist, so maybe she acknowledges that, that Mary's walking by faith. And as we trust in the promises of God, even if there's lots of wrestling with them, uh, with them do come joy and do come peace. As we continue then, verse 46 through 55, we have this great passage. And this is a passage that we could just go on and on and on about. So this is a quick overview of these, these verses. But in them we see joy and an exclamation, a, a proclamation of joy by Mary but it's a joy found in, in her humility. And we can see that may we find in this time a joy in, in our humility and in his greatness, in Jesus' greatness. Let me read some of those verses. Begins in verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. So Mary here, she just bursts forth in praise, in joy. She just breaks forth in song, in psalm. And her whole spirit, her whole being just rejoices here. And this word for rejoice, it literally means to leap for joy. Um, one translator put it this way, the joy which leaps for joy. So she's just, just full of joy and speaking these things as she sees all of these things fulfilled. And she's just amazed what God is doing in her midst and joy breaks forth. And what does she rejoice in? That's what we see in the rest of her song here, her rejoicing. She begins, she rejoices in God, in God my Savior. So she needs a deliverer. She needs a rescue. She needs a Savior, a Redeemer. And she knows that her God indeed is her Savior. And rescue has come. His rescue plan is being fulfilled and even being carried out by His grace and by His mercy that she's a part of this rescue plan as the Savior, Jesus Christ, is coming, that she's carrying the Savior in her womb. And there's verse 48. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. So she rejoices in what God, what God has done and what God is doing. He's been kind. He's been merciful to Mary and good to her. He's looked upon her in her humble her humble. Or her humble state as a servant. And Mary here, Mary doesn't claim great strength. Mary doesn't stand on her, her great humility. <laughs> but she says she's a servant, blessed. And remember, she is a girl of, of no reputation, of no standing in her society even poor. Later in Luke, we're going to see when Mary and Joseph, they go to the temple to dedicate Jesus and um, for a um, offering a purification for Mary, they bring two pigeons with them because they can't afford a lamb. And here the Lord has, has rescued and used this humble girl. So we're reminded we don't have to be strong. Uh, we don't have to also be perceived by others as being strong. I think that's a relief. Sometimes we think that that's kind of our calling to, to be impressive to other people. Uh, 
So they're impressed by how we are, and I think it begins early on, and we, we think that we grow out of that, but I don't know that we do. Um, but we don't need to be strong or perceived to be strong. Our joy isn't found um, in our strength, but we see here that our joy is found in our humility as we humble ourselves before our Savior, Jesus Christ. And, and then we're rescued by His strength, um, His greatness. And she knows, Mary knows, that she'll be called blessed. But it's not because of her own virtue, but it's because of the child that she will bear. Uh, she will be blessed. In verse 49 then, For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. So here she rejoice, rejoices in the might and the holiness of God, who is mighty, the mighty one. He's done great things for his people. He's the one who is holy. His name is holy. He is holy. In verses 50 through 53, And His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their throne and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away empty. So she continues to rejoice. And here she rejoices in the way in which God reveals himself uh, in the world. There's a, a uniqueness here. And often sometimes the kingdom of God is talked about that upside down kingdom where he reverses things and does things in a way that uh, we wouldn't imagine him to do. And, and she rejoices in the mercy of God for those who fear him. Um, God, God is ready and able to extend mercy and forgiveness to all those who come with Him, come to Him humbly with empty hands. We we come every morning or every Sunday morning when we take of communion. We're reminded that we come not not as a people holy in ourselves, but a people with empty hands that need the mercy of Jesus. And here we see that and we see that great reversal as well as He scatters the proud, but and brings down the mighty, but exalts the humble. Um, the hungry are filled and the empty they go, or the rich go empty. And here we see that he's exalted Mary and Elizabeth. And Elizabeth, again, she is barren. She, hadn't, she didn't have children. And she was past the age of bearing children. She would have been someone that the society would have kind of looked down on and scorned. But here uh, the Lord has come to Elizabeth and Zechariah and lifted them up and allowed them to be the one that would parent uh, John the Baptist, the forerunner of the Messiah, and Mary here in her poverty is lifted up and carries in her womb Jesus, the Messiah. So we see um, this reversal, and in it she finds great joy, great joy and great hope that the Lord would look on her um, and find favor with her. In verses 54 and following, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. So here Mary rejoices as God is her helper and he keeps his promises. He's remembered his mercy. And it may have felt at some times during that time in history and Maybe it feels that way sometime for us too, but there have been about 400 years where God had been silent. Um, and 
there had been no more prophecies or words from the Lord. And here um, there is. And Christ um, is on the scene. God has not forgotten his promises to Abraham. He's not forgotten his promises to David and to Israel. These things are being fulfilled. And God will now bless the nations through um, Jesus. So she sees these things and she's reminded God does not forget. And she rejoices in it. Later in the life of Jesus and later as we walk through John, the Gospel of John, we'll get to John 16 and we see at the end of the life of Jesus that he speaks about joy. Well, there's several times, but this is one of those. And as his disciples look on, as Jesus has said that he will depart from them, and there's some confusion about what's going to happen, but he speaks about his death and his resurrection, and he comforts them with the hope of joy. This is what Jesus says, John 16, 20 through 22. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, You will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. Speaking of his death and his resurrection. When a woman has given birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also also you have sorrow now. But I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy. No one will take your joy from you. She says, joy is coming that no one can take. And that's the hope that we have in Jesus, that he died and rose again. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, find rest. He says, turn from your sins, repent and believe. And in him there is life and there is joy abundant. In Jesus. So this season we, we sing things like joy to the world, but we don't sing joy to the world, the mint mochas have come, right? We sing joy to the world, the Lord has come. Jesus has come. He's come to seek and to save the lost, to bind up the brokenhearted, the humble, and to humble the proud, that they might find joy. Joy rooted in the only true source of joy, that is Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we we thank you for a joy that is so much greater than just a moment of opening a present or having a good meal or drinking a coffee or whatever it might be, that the joy that we have in Jesus is is that which is unending, that no one can steal, no one can take from us. And even at days that, that joy seems far from us, that you are kind and you're gracious to us to, to keep us close and to use the means of your grace through your word and through your people to remind us uh, of the joy that is in Jesus. So we thank you for that today. Lord, I, I pray that uh, this morning that you would convict our hearts if there's ways that we are seeking to to put joy and hope in things that just will never deliver in the way that you have created us for. And help us, dear God, to place our joy and our hope in you. This morning, I do pray if there are any of yet to trust in you as Lord and Savior, that even in this moment, uh, that you would give them faith to believe, to turn from their sins and trust in you and find new life in you this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.
This morning we, we do respond together and we're reminded together of where our joy, where our hope, where our peace, where our love is rooted. And that's in Jesus. And we're reminded of his death um, for us on the cross and then his resurrection. And we're reminded that um, his body was broken for us. We take of the bread that 